me again. Are we doing names? We're doing names. Okay. Uh, my name is David. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a name anymore. I gave away between this and the last episode. Damn you. Who am I? <laughs> Why am I? Um, I'm David. I'm a creative D&D player. Um, there's a comma there. And uh, this is the podcast my friends and I have thrown together. Uh, we're going to be covering the subject of campaign expectations, kind of what you want going into a campaign, some key points to uh, smoothing things over. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm Trevor. Um, I'm a longtime GM and have played a lot of a lot of D and D, a lot of other random things, but not for very long. Mostly stuck around the D and D realm, but very much into fantasy and general nerddom. I'm Mason, a GM, player, systems enthusiast. Um, I love tabletop games, the stories they can create, and finding ways to play around in the space they create. Man, uh, I wonder what our resumes are going to look like by the end of this. Have you, uh, <laughs> have you seen the internet post that's like how to use a D&D experience on your resume? Yes. I I it's actually. so funny. It's like literally like managing a team and getting them to work it in, <laughs> effectually in high stress situations. That'd be so good, but that's already on my resume. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Um, I I, I often use the, uh, let's see, something along the lines of good at managing team tensions and solving disputes. mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. One one of these days that can be D&D or... Tabletop groups could be a legitimate column on somebody's like <laughs> hobbies portion on their resume. I believe it. You need it to become a psychologist. <laughs> with, with the amount of hype it's getting in the education spheres and yeah. uh, child psychology spheres, I believe it. Well, and yeah. rehab. I mean, yeah, I would be very fascinated to uh, see or learn more about the ways that role play are used in psychology. And if I'm sure there's a psychologist out there that has co-opted D and D or a similar system um, to oh, work a, out, certain. there's tons. There's actually quite a few studies. They make the yeah. I need every, to every, every I, few times throughout the year. I need to read into that a little more because that would be super fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like we may have hit a few random facts there. <laughs> no, well, we got to start no. the podcast right. Come on, <laughs> random facts, boys. Do it right or go home. No, I thought no. That we only do it once. Remember, otherwise we don't have a podcast. This is a segment. Come on, stop stalling. <laughs> no, like we didn't. We only did it once last week. <laughs> oh yeah, we're already arguing we? about how to do this thing oh, because okay. we have no Sorry, format. Whatever. But I mean, if you want to, I'm down. I, it's just you know, it's right, gonna help. take twenty minutes. It's gonna Come be on, guys, quick, quick, get your D20s roll. Oh, oh, we got to do, do initiative for who we, gets to e- tackle the topic first. Evens or odds? I'm odds. Why are we? What are we deciding with this roll? Random facts. I got odds. 
Odds win. I got a one. It wasn't established what evens or odds represented. <laughs> Welcome to democracy, Ah, <laughs> uh, see, this is a history lesson. I got. You. I love democracy. <laughs> All right. Good old uh, Palpatine. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so we're not doing random facts because Mason hates joy. And... Okay, we, I'm, <laughs> we just haven't decided. Is this going to be the episode? <laughs> so as we're talking about effective communication, you should go into things with a plan. Clearly, we have not demonstrated <laughs> that today. <laughs> we have demonstrated what not to do. <laughs> that, that's good. Um... um Okay, so if we're skipping random facts, do you guys ma- mind if I ask a question to get us started? Please, I think question? I think it's the only way to save this episode. <laughs> um, so we've all been part of D and D groups. What is typically the thing that happens next after you guys schedule a time to play? Like, like for the first the, time ever? Yeah, like what okay. what's the first thing that usually happens? And we in the last episode we kind of talked about different mediums, like online, playing in a game store, slash getting a group of friends together. Um so like what is typically the next step and do playing in those different medias mediums affect that? Are are we working on the assumption that a GM and a medium is already decided? Um, yes, let's say for the sake of this, okay. a a game is chosen and somebody is has decided to GM. Well, for me, it would be it, it would be comprised of a flurry of online research. And then probably irresponsible purchasing of a large amount of D and D material or game material, <laughs> and then because you need a new set of dice for your new character. Of course, you buy books, you buy dice. Come on. <laughs> um, yes, buy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then uh, manically read over the next couple of days. Get bored. Forget about it. And then the night before, stay up all night reading some more and making the character. That's generally how that would go, along with a flurry of questions to the DM, mm-hmm. who is instantly does not have a great opinion of me. So He's <laughs> <laughs> worried about what the can of worms that they've opened. Mason, what what's your experience of... You have a session coming up with possibly a random group or a, at least a new group, like in the next week. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll hit it from both sides as a GM and as a player. Um, can you do that? I can go both ways. It's okay. <laughs> it's not legal. <laughs> um, my, my uncle's a lawyer. Um, so... So as a player, my if I've got like a new campaign come up, the big thing I'm gonna try to not do is I I don't want to go in with like too many preconceived ideas. Um, so if it's actually the first session, I'm going to come to it like say 
say the GM has requested we've made characters. You know, we already kind of talked about what the campaign is going to be. So I'm going to just show up with my character at whatever level, probably level one. They're going to be on a character sheet. I'm going to have a name and a basic concept for like kind of what I, I'm thinking their personality is going to be. And then my whole goal for that night is figure out what that campaign is going to end up looking like once we're actually playing it. Um, and then how, what I want to do now that I kind of, I'm going to have information about it. So I'm, I'm waiting to get information at that point. Yeah. Um, if, if it's a new system, I'd be learning the rules and that kind of stuff, but that, that kind yeah. of, for the most part goes without saying. Um, but because I know myself and I will get too rigid of an idea in my head, if I go too ham too early, I, I'm going to be doing a lot of waiting very impatiently for it to start. As a play, I, I my prep is pretty similar to yours. Is like a as a player when I've played, um, which is honestly pretty rare for me. I do like a generic idea of who my character might be, like pick an archetype, like mm-hmm. some character traits. Some are they gruff? Are they happy? Are they? Um, do they take ch- risks or are they thoughtful with their actions? I like those kind of things. Um, and I don't do a whole lot more than that besides maybe like pick a class. Um, but also like reading up on the rules because I really dig that. Like if I'm playing in a new system yep, or I'm playing same. playing maybe a, a, a class or type of character I'm not familiar with. I'll read up all the rules with that. Do you think that's always necessary for all of the players to come to the table knowing all of the rules? Or oh, how no. far should that go? No, uh, definitely not all the rules. Um, it definitely it, it helps everyone uh, communally if they know uh, the basics, at least. Um, it helps, but... No, uh, don't turn D&D into a, a school assignment because that's what it very easily can turn into. Um, and a lot of the times, a lot of the times there'll be someone at the table who can, who has more knowledge and can help people. But mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> just dumping, here, read, read the PHB. On, uh, on your group is, is a bad way to start a session. Yeah. Yeah, I think that can take a lot of the uh, the mystery and the fantasy out of it mm-hmm. for a lot of people, especially if it's their first uh, like session that you're inviting them to. Yes. They um, want to have fun, you know. So uh, I would yeah, say if if like... And it's weird that I have different answers for if I'm a player or if I'm a GM. If I'm a GM with a brand new group, I have been playing long enough that... um, And I've I've GM'd new systems that are new to me and new to my players enough times that all I'm going to ask from a player... This is bare minimum. I'm happy if you come with more as far as like rules competency goes. Is if you know how to kind of resolve a basic action... You know, say it's in, and the two basic ones are typically a skill check and an attack type role. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it'll vary from system to system. Some systems just have one thing that's all, all you do. 
something more like just classic D&D or Pathfinder is going to have a slight divide between that. But if you know how what dice you need to roll to find out if you can do something and how to read your character sheet to find what you need to add, that's good enough because I can help you through the rest. If you just know that you have to roll a dice and add numbers to it and I can say, here's the things you need to add, that's also okay. Like I don't want my players to be super stressed about it and that's because the current campaign of running, we've gone through, you know, we're on the second edition of a system that we're going through. So I'm happy to take the time to make sure that people are comfortable so they don't feel like they have to read mm-hmm. this ancient rule book from 40-ish years ago. Um, as a player, I prefer the people around me to not know the entire rule book, but like if there's an action your player can do, or your character can do, and more actually an action they are likely to take, you should know mm-hmm. how to do it. Yeah. Like, if you're I, gonna, never going to grapple, don't worry learning how to grapple. Yeah. I typically, like, compare it to, like, on the jo- like job training. Yes. How many times have you gone to the corporate mandated training for your job and they just blast you with information for three days and never have you do any of it? And then they release you onto the floor and you half remember what you learned in training. And then everybody is having to catch you up and then you learn things as you go. Mm-hmm. Like, so don't make your D and D or whatever game GURPS um, Pathfinder. If you blast everybody with information in one second, but aren't actually like building that muscle memory of how to do something, then they're going to forget and they're just going to ask questions again later. So what I typically do when prepping for a new campaign is maybe like design a simple encounter to start with that is here is how we will learn how combat works. Then maybe the second session we'll have a couple skill challenges so we can learn about skill challenges. Then maybe, uh, another session will have more role play dynamics and more free form stuff. So we can learn how I generally do that. You, um, you stole that almost verbatim from a list of things I was going to bring up. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> like that, that is just a good thing to do. If you have people that are unfamiliar with the systems, step-by-step mm-hmm. step, introduce them one at a time in, in a vacuum and design the, the, the session around learning that mechanic. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, I mean, I, I designed, I designed a campaign a long time ago that I still have all the notes for that was everybody works on this farm and it gets attacked by monsters. There have never been monsters in the world before. And nobody has a class during the first session. <laughs> so you're all just peasants. And so you learn combat because you know how far you can move. And then depending on what weapon you pick up on the map, I tell you what to roll. And so it's like literally you were taking baby steps. You don't have skills. You don't have all this other stuff. We're just doing combat right now. Mm-hmm. And then the next part of the campaign is, okay, the whole world is dealing with monsters suddenly appearing. There are these three factions you can join. One that's trying to research the monsters, one that's trying to fight the monsters, um, and one that's trying to utilize the monsters. Which one do you want to join? And then that's where you get your class and and skills and stuff from yeah and so doing something like that to ease people in um yeah i don't think you need to know all the rules right away um Uh, just to capitalize off of what trevor said 
I would also recommend not starting a campaign with roleplay. <clears throat> Don't start it with roleplay. Why is why I say that is that roleplay is a much less rigidly defined by the rules, by the official rules, in D and D fifth edition at least. And B which is, I would say is more important. Um, <laughs> role play is really difficult for people, for inexperienced people, to just jump into. We covered that in a role play segment. But uh, much like Trevor was saying, combat skills then maybe role play. Uh, well, social interaction. <clears throat> social interaction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can even break that down. You can break that down to roles, too. Like, wow. you negotiate with a shopkeeper, you know, and try to get a cheaper yep. price, you know. Um, so, like, as a player, coming to a new campaign, like, know, prepare what the game master has asked you to prepare. If they've asked you to make a character, if they've asked you to have some sort of backstory. Um, most people don't ask for anything super extensive. They might just say, the most common one is, how do you know the other players? Like, how does your character know the other characters? Yeah. Um, but, like, besides that, as a player, you know, you just kind of need an I- a basic idea. You don't need... Yeah. You, you don't need a thesis on who this character might or could or, yeah. or would be. And I think while that can be a fun exercise, I have many times done that and then been disappointed because my character is not either fun to play or doesn't mix well with the group. I... But, but what might be more fun is like setting weird rules for your character to follow. Yeah. Um, rather than having them have like a specific backstory like one of my favorite characters I've ever played was a bard who was an investigative journalist so he's a pacifist he won't fight he'll only use like supportive spells and he tries to run tries to run away from conflict and always tries to like get new information about stuff and like reveal the secret story that's going on behind anything so that isn't really a backstory it's just like my character is always going to try to expose secrets so if some npc tells me that they are racketeering money or or embezzling in the background i'm going to expose that somehow and if i get in a fight i'm not going to take aggressive action just to <clears throat> ornament what Trevor said, uh, I, I've read about and heard about campaigns, specifically DMs asking players to write extensive backstories for their characters. This is a personal opinion. I don't know how the other guys feel about it, but I would say that's going to be a rough campaign no matter what you do. Um, in my opinion, 
when you write extensive backstories like that, you put yourself into a corner as as a player. Meaning, there's there's no place for your character to grow, which is what the journey of of a campaign is all about. Your character is changing over that journey, and if you have an extensive backstory, uh, you know you. It just tends to write yourself into a corner, um, and. I don't know. That's that's just been my experience with that type of yeah. I think um, from my experience, I've just been burned enough as far as like the campaign doesn't ever actually get that far that it is important. So, do the work that makes the most sense. Like know your character spells, know their abilities know what they can and can't do in most given encounters and then a a couple character traits and then you can build off of that um and then when you know things are serious when you know the campaign's gonna gonna chug out and have some longevity then build into it Um, because because yeah i've done i've done that a lot where i write a bunch about a character and all these ideas about how they interact with their God and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that doesn't matter if we're not going to play more than five sessions. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just doesn't. Uh, along that, I, it's going to be, I want to bring it up again in a minute. Um, but one last thing on players, then I'll go to my original mm-hmm. uh, continuation to the GM side of things. But what I'm looking to do during session one as a player, you know, I mentioned I'm kind of just bringing this concept of a character is very simple and I, I know what they, what actions they are likely to do. Um, whether that's like, they're not going to be fighting, you know, or they are going to be fighting. Um, what I'm looking for is what interactions with the other characters are interesting to me that I want to explore. Mm-hmm. That's going to help me define what I want my character to be. Cause then they are going to have reasons and cause to be interacting with the other characters players characters in those ways um and then from that is when the backstory comes later as we start to have those interactions that i'm excited to have you know they want kind of like a, a buddy buddy jokey like uh journey with this character and like a rivalry with this other one like that that's going to help me figure out the personality and the backstory of my character like why do they feel that way and give mm-hmm. me a direction to go um and and that that's going to be kind of the next year i want to take this is what are you doing during session one Um, But as far as the GM prep for session one, if I have like Mm -hmm. uh, a session one coming up next week, um, it's very similar to what we kind of talked about already where I'm looking for, okay, if these are new players or it's a new system or it's just a new thing, I kind of want to hit some keynotes. That way I can get feedback about what people are liking and the way people want to do things. I want to make sure we have a little bit of combat, a little bit of skill-based world interaction and a little bit of social-based interaction with other people that way i can get a feel for what people are liking in those things so my first session and it may be spread out over a couple of sessions like we mentioned but i'm trying to figure out the best way i can have the most information about what people are wanting to get from this campaign at the end of the first session 
That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. Because we can talk all we want beforehand about what we want to get out of it. But what people do in session is what ideally they're wanting to do more of. Yeah. Because you, you are going to get more information at the end of it than they could ever tell you. And so I'm trying to figure out every possible form of interaction they could be looking for that I am also looking for and open that up to them. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what's going into my session planning for, for session one, which is a bit vague, but that that's what's going to give me information. Mm-hmm. What's well, information gathering? <clears throat> I mean, for as much the players as it is for the DM, mm-hmm. um, you got to have information to set up the next game. Yep. And I'm, I think uh, the three of us, are pretty passionate about like a session zero um, where you set expectations for the campaign and you have a second to talk about the campaign, the characters and everything like outside of actually playing the game. Um, The, the reason that I like to do that is because the, if I had a campaign that was brand new with four people that I vaguely knew, or that were acquaintances next week, what I would do is say, Hey, um, whether, whether you've played D and D or not, or, um, or are completely new to it, can everybody just show up? We're not going to have characters ready. We're just going to talk about what we want to do. Um, and what I would prepare is a couple like pitches for campaigns um, that I'm interested in that way I can see what the characters want to do. So my pitch, my pitches would be, um, the group could, and if you guys would indulge me, just, uh, you two agree on one and we'll just expand the exercise from there real quick. Okay. Okay. Um, so we could play a campaign where, um, there's going to be a little bit more, uh, political intrigue. It is in the country of Marine, and we are in the midst of a re-election. The way that re-elections work in Marine is th- a the game master sets up a challenge, and all of the potential candidates have to compete and win the challenge. The challenge might be getting enough, getting the highest number of short short swords gathered in the capital by the end of a week. The challenge might be getting the most amount of citizens in the country to agree to participate in a magical experiment. The challenge might be just getting the most loaves of bread to a particular place by the end of a week. The the nominee who is able to complete that task wins. Your characters would be working for one of the nominees and doing his dirty work to make these tasks happen. The other idea I have is the characters would work for a um, research institute that is trying to find more out about ancient ruins. They are charging you with finding a forward operating base and discovering previously unknown ruins in a specific area of the world. Once you guys establish a base, 
You will explore the area around it, identify new ruins, and report information back. Um, and the third one would be more of a wacky campaign where we explore the innards of the ancient city of Misanthropol. Well, at least as it exists on the plane today. It's not the same as it once was. There's lots of gaps. There's lots of mysteries. There's lots of strange magical phenomenon. This will be more like a dungeon crawl. You'll explore this place and probably end up in lots of different planes and lots of different worlds and end up hopping back to the core one. So which one of those sounds more interesting? <laughs> I mean, I, I am happy with any of the three. I'm going to say that I'm most happy with numbers one and three. Um, because two is most similar to the campaigns I'm currently in. Mm -hmm. Some uh, political intrigue or dungeon delve is more of my jam right now, Dave. What are you feeling? Damn. Uh, see, I was really hooked with the campaign involving, you know. Uh, rigging the, the, the pile of bread election. That would have been super fun, I think. Mm -hmm. But then Dungeon Crawl. I'm a sucker for Dungeon Crawl, so number three would be my choice. Yeah. Okay. So so the reason I did this protracted, protracted exercise is like, that's literally what I do in my session zero, is I lay out three options that I've thought about for at least 30 minutes a piece and have a direction so that I can answer questions. Um, and then once everybody kind of, kind of agrees on one, then I'll go into more questions. I'll ask, okay, do, does everybody want to know each other beforehand or no? Does, do all of the characters, um, are they a part of this group? Are they a part of that group? Are you guys going to be good, neutral, or evil? And then we'll all build the story together. So in the Dungeon Delve thing, you know, why are you guys going to this crazy dungeon-esque landscape that is very dangerous? Is a question I would ask. You're Money. Money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would, I would honestly... <laughs> what what I would do in the session zero is let everybody talk about, you know, as they're debating which ones to pick, I would be thinking about three options for the why. Because I just use the rule of three. If the group can't decide on one of the three options, usually we just do a combination of two of them and then everybody's happy, right? So, so I was really hoping to do that loaf of bread rigging. So uh, yeah, the destination uh, that one loaf of bread is the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, no that that one's an idea I've been tossing around for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, and I really like that. I'm gonna digress for just a second because I've thought about this like weird election process for a little bit, and the basic idea is that like it's really chaotic. It whatever the game is 
It requires people to have contacts to get people to work together and to like figure out how to do logistical things. Um, but then whoever wins, everybody else who is nominated is like part of their council. And then the first month of their administration, so to speak, is them fixing all of the problems they caused during the nomination <laughs> process. That's pretty good. So, like, if you were to do an evil campaign right. in that setting, it you would be, like, the bruisers for the kingpin in the criminal underworld who's trying to get nominated so he can have more power. So you're trying to go around and beat up everybody and, like, extort things. And then for the first month of their administration, you're trying to cover up all the illegal shit you did. Yeah. Because the only rule during the nomination process is you can't break the country's laws. That's, that's pretty okay. Dope. Here's what I would do in that campaign. I would <clears throat> discover a rumor that, well, no, actually, it would be that misanthropal, you know, portals to outer planes and all that, that stuff. I'd be playing a wizard, and then my character arc would be, is there a plane of bread loaves? And... <laughs> My wizard would then go to Mazanthropol. <laughs> and combine the two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yep. um, if we want, so, so say I'm in that session zero and you want to do the political breadwinning and Mason wants to do the dungeon crawl. Okay. How do we mix the two? We, let's we say gotta get to break that to the bottom of the dungeon, you know, got to fight the other parties. Off. Let's say that there are, multiple countries competing to unlock the secret of misanthropal and you guys are part of a research slash military arm that is trying to beat the other nations to it yeah that's dope yeah so it's like misanthropal so having the three options hold. yeah so having the three options gives you a really easy way to pinpoint what your players want to do as a GM. Um, so like I literally, I will do no other prep except coming up with the three pitches and like writing up a paragraph for each. Um, and then I'll ask, um, then I will ask how intermeshed do we want all the party story to be? What tone do we want to have? Do we want to be an action movie? Do we want to be a comedy? Yeah. Do we want to um, be really serious? And then I'll ask what what like movie rating or video game rating do we want to have? Are we is it M rated? Are we PG thirteen? Are we PG? And then That's I would just have everybody make characters. to cover. Yeah. Yeah. Who's comfortable with what content? So that that long, long digression is kind of how I tend to start campaigns. <laughs> um, I like it to be pretty collaborative uh, because I don't want to necessarily waste a bunch of time making something that I want to do if not everybody wants to do it. Um, so I'd rather just develop that with everybody in session zero. There's yeah. definitely pros and cons to that. Yeah. 
Um, I do things a little differently for my campaigns. Uh, and I, I, one other way we should mention is just you can do pre-made campaigns. And if you're just really starting out, no one's really GM'd before, that's the literal perfect place to start. Yes. Yeah. Um, read reviews first. There are bad modules out there. They do exist. Um, so try and find one that is good, but also one that's good for beginners. Because, you know, sometimes the more famous ones are for, like, people that really want to go in and do, like, different types of stuff that is just not as beginner-friendly. But if you're not doing that, if you're not just doing it from a module... Um, the way I, I have done it is I, I get really specific ideas in my head, like really, really specific. Um, but that doesn't mean that's how that I have the entire thing planned out start to finish. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. here's an area I want to explore. You know, it's Mad Max. I have this idea for this town that's built on top of a garbage dump and people go in there and they like get they get there's like a town with an economy in Mad Max world, which isn't really a, a, a thing that's existed before. But there's this landfill that is just a giant hill that people like mine into, and they're getting scrap and just old stuff from the old world out of this hill, right? And then there's like these people are kind of controlling that resource, and I want to explore that town with my players. Um, or one that I'm he- building in my head right now is like okay. Uh, last week, the world broke. Um, Shit, man. Yeah, just it, it kind of <laughs> broke, dude. Um, we're talking like it was basically a normal world. You know, it was still fantasy, like there's gods and stuff, whatever. But last week, the gods tried to leave and the world broke. Um, there's now islands floating in the sky, rivers going upside down, like into the sky. Um, people didn't have dreams before. In the in the next few days, they're going to start having dreams. And so, if I'm if I was going to bring that to party i would say okay basically give that that little delivery i just gave the world broke last week fantasy stuff is going to start happening is this interesting to you and what kinds of interesting fantasy things would you be interested in seeing for the first time as a character and then exploring where nobody else has explored there before so trevor and dave in a fantasy setting where magic is a thing it's a soft magic setting nothing super hard because again magic's new Magic didn't exist last week either. Um, so over the next several months, that's what your characters are going to be exploring. Is monsters start to exist, magic exists, um, dreams are going to start being a thing. The entire landscape around your home village has changed. Because of the nature of the recent changes, you are all going to be from the same place, or at least close to. If you're not from the same village, you were in the village when the world broke, and you've been there since. What kinds of things would be interesting to you to explore? In this campaign, well, I would explore the cause of the nearest uh, cataclysmically spawned. Uh, what would I call this? Abnormality. Abnormality. And and also, are there any, like, do you have any ideas for, like, weird things that could happen in this world? If there's something you think would be really cool to have in this world, let me know. Hey, like, if, if Sky hey. Islands aren't your thing, we don't need to have those. But, like, if you're like, like yes. The first thing that hit m- my brain is more of a character choice. Okay. And I think it would be interesting to be, like, a traditional warrior type 
who was like the top, who was the big fish in the little pond. Mm-hmm. But now that the world flipped and people can do fucking magic, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how a normal person who can't do magic and just fights with like fists and weapons so yeah, like, can compete. I, I, Trevor, yeah. Trevor, your character bullied my character in school. Yeah. And yeah, now you so, can do magic. Because my character was like asthma ridden or something. Yeah. yeah. And so your, your character is like, um, for the sake of like, it, it, it feels very kind of coming of age. You know, you're, you're not yeah. necessarily kids, but you're like, you know, young adults type deal. You haven't fully fit your role in the village, but like Trevor's character is clearly like cut out to be not necessarily the like up and coming hunter yeah, or chief, whatever. Not a chieftain, but definitely he's, he's going to be a hunter the kind of the guy to go to if you need something killed or something protected. The muscle of the town. And Trevor, Dave, you were like, a that was kid. little Timmy. Yeah, yeah. Getting beaten by here. Scrooge when the cataclysm happened. The one, the one who was a little <laughs> off. You're, you're the odd kid. Nobody's gonna kick you out of town. Your parents are good people. You're just a little strange. That's all, right? Um, but now you are the one person in town who has accidentally done magic. Um, what does your magic look like? It was it, it was not a controlled thing. It was one huge spontaneous event. Um, uh, as, as a metaphor, like when Kavoth like summoned the wind on accident and yeah. um, on what's his face, the dick. I'm gonna combine my first idea with this idea and say, well, and the little lore you've given me, and say my character, um, my character goes to sleep. And has a horror, has has the first nightmare, okay. and uh, the what we know in reality as the Aurora Borealis uh, appears like around the city that they're in, Sweet. except it's like evil or something. I don't know. Maybe it okay. eats dreams. I don't know. No, I can I can work with that. Um... And the first session where I'm, where I'm thinking we're going to have you two do with your characters, because there needs to be something for you to be doing, obviously. Um, the the long-term goal of the campaign is, like, you are going to end up exploring the world or something. Um, but what has happened is it's been a week. You've been kind of cleaning up the town and whatnot. And the current food source has gone bad. And so you, uh, Trevor... Your character has been asked, okay, here's your first mission. You've got to save the town. Like, um, the current, like, hunters and stuff were out on a hunting mission. We don't know where they are. Your goal is to find food and contact them. And since we don't know what happened, we're all kind of spooked. Take the freak with you, please. <laughs> Does this seem like a reasonable, like, it's yeah. kind of going to build on the dynamic. You're like, you know, you bullied him, you, but, like, you're the one person that could handle him, right? He's, you're going to keep yeah. this this freaking check. Um, and you're the one person that's also competent enough to find the rest of the men of the village, right? Um, seemed like a reasonable starting point for the first session. Yeah. Like, yeah. that would be fascinating to me. Right? <laughs> That'd be such a fun dynamic to play. But, so, like, to your point is you had one sentence idea mm-hmm. that just spawned that whole conversation. Yeah. So it can be as simple as that. What if we were in a world that was normal? Then you just pick a time frame 
medieval, stone age, bronze age, renaissance, and then the world got completely broken and fantasy stuff started happening all of a sudden. Yeah. And the like the key that's with this, the premise. Yeah. The key though is as I move forward, like I have an idea and I've got a lot more backstory that they don't need to know about right now because it doesn't matter. I need them interested in the campaign. As they're going forward though, I need to decide. I have all these fun ideas. That's why I want to run this campaign. What are they being interested in as we're going through and playing? When it comes to session one, when we finally get down and play and we've, you know, made their characters and we go out and we're doing this, you know, finding the men of the village. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they need to plan, like, do they find the men? For sake of simplicity, probably, yeah. We are um, the only two men left in this village. It's now mission repopulate, <laughs> baby. Let's go. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> suddenly, I'm more interested. <laughs> but um, as we're playing through session one, I need to be very careful, though. Because I've come in with a very specific idea and communicated part of that to them, that I'm not getting ahead of myself, that I'm not forcing their hand into anything, and that I'm responding to what they are becoming interested in, you know, and and also that I'm delivering on that promise, like, it needs to feel like the world has changed, which also gives me a chance to introduce them slowly to the weird stuff I've made up, you know, whatever monsters and magic and crap, which is good. Tentacles. Um, Oh, so many tentacles. (laughs) Um... But I need to so, continue to be as responsive to their input and in what the world's going to be as I was at the start. Because that's what got them interested. They're like, that's a cool idea. Here's the things I like about it. Yeah. I need to keep so, letting them do that. So what I, I appreciate about that interaction we just had, it was a really good example of give and take. Yep. Yeah. Um, playing a role-playing game is going to be a social exercise. It's going to be a group project. Um, not everybody is going to get everything they want. So where's the happy medium? And you're going to um, screw up. Yes. yes. And you'll have to make up. adjustments. Uh, yes. And we will touch on that uh, probably in the next episode. Yes. But what Mason did very skillfully is my first thought was a character-driven thought and not a necessarily... Uh, I mean, it was kind of anchored in the world, but then since I said that, David jumped in and said, I want to be the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And then Mason said, great, we're going to force you guys to hang out, which is a very common trope in any medium. Yes. Rom-coms, dramas, fantasy. Like, it's been done in every genre where mm-hmm. you have the person on one end of the spectrum hang out with the person on the opposite end of the spectrum and just watch the chaos that happens classic yeah um but he saw that and went okay what would be a funny situation to throw them into um so like as a as a gm that's how you can take your preconceived notions about what what a campaign can be and adjust it to meet the needs of your party yeah, um, the next thing I'd do along this discussion would be, okay, what kind of tone do we want to have? Because, like, inherently it's a very humorous situation as far mm-hmm. as the companions. However, the events of the world are kind of very dramatic, but we can take it wherever we want. And that's kind of your biggest tool if you have a specific idea, is don't get married <laughs> to the tone. Get married to the exploration of the concept. Because if I go in and I'm like, I want this to be super gritty, and they're like, but we're opposites. 
And also, the nerd is way more powerful than the jock. Obviously, that's an inherent funny trope. That's why it's in rom-coms and all kinds of stuff like that. If they want to play it flaps, then we can do that. If they're like, no, we want it to be like real, like we kind of hate each other at first. And we have to, we are forced literally to work together or die. We can do that as well. But I want to be, as we're talking about this, and as we're going through session one, gauging their responses very carefully to make sure that they are both enjoying what the tone of what we end up in. Otherwise, mm-hmm. even though they both love the concept, and I'm super in love with it, obviously, it won't go anywhere. Because mm-hmm. we're expecting different things from it. So we're going to talk about it now. Okay, what kind of tone are you looking for in this campaign? What, what do you want it? What do you want the average events to look like? Do you want to kind of be riffing off of each other as you go along? What do you what do you want it to look like? So, we got... That can all be encapsulated with effective communication. Um, <clears throat> and hilariously, you can go look this up. It's, it's, it's a psychological term. But... It, it all comes down to knowing who, kind of getting comfortable with who you're playing with, especially if it's a new group that you've just introduced yourself to. And on top of, top of that, um, the give and take and the collaborative creation of the campaign, uh, there's... While there are times where, you, you know, you need to be selfish and say, this is what I want my character to do. There are also other times where you give the stage to someone else. Um, mm-hmm. Reading or crowd is, reading the group around you is a huge part of that. And you learn a lot about them as, as you continue to play. But uh, I think that brings us to the issue, the bane of all tabletop games, scheduling the sessions. And getting everyone to arrive on time. Um. Yeah. I, so in both situations, we kind of um, we didn't outright say this as we were explaining it, um, but we were describing two different approaches as a GM creating a campaign. One is basically meet with everybody and negotiate it at ad hoc as you go, and the other one being the GM has a pretty solid idea of what they want to do. Then they see how the players change that. Um, I think the three of us at least are in agreement that if I write a hardcore script, if I want to run um, the party through the Lord of the Rings story, that's going to be hard to accomplish because supposedly in most tabletop role-playing games, everybody has free agency. Yeah. So it's not super realistic to have already written act two and three before act one is finished. Um, Cause yeah. things are going to change and your players should be able to affect your world as a dungeon master. So in my opinion which is not a hundred percent like correct or accurate i think that you should start with a generic idea and then use your players to fill in the blanks because that makes it more engaging for everyone at least in my experience 
I don't know. Uh, do you guys the, agree with that, or do you think that is that has a couple holes? Well, that's that's the collaborative uh, creation. That's that's what it is. <clears throat> uh, players should always be able to affect the world around them. I mean that that it it wouldn't be much of a game if the world was static and didn't change at all, depending on player actions. Um, yep. And, and as far as having, on the DM side of things, say the DM has an ultra-detailed world where, you know, on the fly they can describe the politicking of any given city or town or whatever. It goes back to character creation. It, it's the same rule. Uh, you got to leave room for expansion. You have to leave room for change. And... Honestly, I think in all our experiences, the uh, the best way to accommodate that change is keeping your campaign prep and your character prep relatively bare bones. You know, allow for surprises to yeah. happen. I, I, I think that same thought works for running a pre-made module as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Is leave space like a pre-made module is not going to have every single point on the map. They will generally have a region map. You can add stuff to that map if a situation comes up that calls for it or you have an idea that you think your party would like more than what's in the module. Dude, I, I've run modules and I never... Like, I changed so much even after the first two sessions, right? Mm -hmm. Use the module as a guideline. Use it for, like, encounter design and maps and stuff. And and then change change the context of it a little bit. You know, find ways to make it compelling as opposed to just going through and killing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and, like, when Dave's saying don't leave things done, like, you can have broad strokes of what you want to have happen in the future. Mm -hmm. that's okay you can even have like a specific event you want to have happen in the future that's mm -hmm. also okay but have a plan for how players actions are going to impact it that way when they get there they feel ownership of it it's mm -hmm. like what trevor said where you know we all kind of collaboratively made stuff that's going to get people interested because they care about it because oh man that partial you... ownership is so key the yeah. biggest tool that any game master can use is their players Oh yeah, because I I have heard so many accounts of my players just don't really seem interested in the kind of sessions that I'm running. <laughs> and I struggled with that too. Uh when mm -hmm. I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons and forcing my brothers to play with me, they weren't interested. Why? Because I forced them to play with me and play the way that I wanted to play. Um, it's a group, it's a group activity. So if I would have engaged them and said, "Hey, um, what, what do you think would be fun?" and asked more questions, I would have been more successful. That's something I had to learn over time. If I want to play D and D, I have to accommodate in some areas. Accommodation's a big thing. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I can't enunciate that enough. 
especially for on the player's side of things, just don't, don't stop or impede another player from having their moments. I don't interrupt another player's role play unless, unless you know you're involved in that role play. But um, I can just be accommodating. Um, stand up where you need to, but you always remember it's a collaborative process. You know. Well, um, yeah. the the previous episode we talked about you know finding a group. Um, finding people to play with and different ways to go about that and the pros and cons. Um, what we meandered around this episode was different ways to communicate expectations, different ways to start building a story. Um, do we have any final thoughts like on that topic? Notes. Take notes. <laughs> yes. They're great. Uh, they, they, they come up in inexplicable ways the farther you get into a session. Mm-hmm. For example, I have a bag full of macaroni. I'm still not sure what I'm doing with, but I've had it for uh, weeks in yeah. game. That, that <laughs> is something that sometimes I do not do well at explaining to my players. But I am not going to keep track of their inventory for them. I don't have I don't have the brain space to do that. So typically, I tell my players everything on your character sheet is your problem and not mine. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how many spells you have, if you don't know what your hit points are, if you don't know what items you have, you either don't have that item, you have half of whatever spell slots you're supposed to have. And you have 75% of what hit points you should have. Yep. Um, because I don't want to waste a bunch of time doing that. But again, that is something I tell, I try to tell everybody ahead of time that, hey, here's how I typically deal with this. Um, does anybody have a problem with that? Like, because if we do, we can adjust the rule. Yeah. yeah. To be a little more forgiving or a little more harsh. I've had groups that I was like, hey, I want everybody to keep like accurate notes of hit points and spell slots session to session because I think that's important. And they said, yeah. And, uh, and I was like, typically, here's what I do. You have half your spell slots if you can't remember and you have 75% hit points. And they said, why don't we make it 50 and you have one spell slot if you can't remember? I, I was like, I was like, like okay, role. if you, yeah. you want to yeah. go that far, I'm fine with that. That's not my fucking problem. My NPCs <laughs> are always going to have full hit points and full spell slots. Um, they never forget. <laughs> my, I, I have two final points. Um, uh, just got distracted by... Oh, I, I have it now again. Um, the, the thing I want you to remember is... I was distracted by one spell slot and macaroni. I don't know why those two thoughts were coexisting. <laughs> one macaroni slot. Um, no, my, my true two final thoughts are, one, your prep in the collaboration with your campaign as a player or as a GM does not end when you start the campaign. Leave room to grow even as you go forward. Um, and be thinking for it. Be latching onto the things and watching for the things that people are liking even two years into a campaign. That's just going to keep that two-year campaign feeling good and fresh. 
and be open to shift into a new direction from time to time if that's what people are wanting to do. You can use the same campaign to explore all kinds of things. You just have to find a way to shift the the play style, you know, that feels organic with the story. Um, And my second thought I want to leave off on is, Dave, you've had that macaroni for way longer than that. You got that macaroni before the first time skip, dude. It's been like months. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, it's like six-month-old macaroni. It might even be a year old at this point. Oh, man. That was... I think that was 2,000 gold worth of macaroni. <laughs> you gave it a gold value, Trevor? <laughs> yeah. Of course you did. It's amazing. Well, because if, if I'm going to be completely transparent, I am the kind of GM who pulls shit out of my ass 80% of the time because sometimes players like loot things that you don't expect them to loot. And rather than rolling on a loot table... I just will say, like, the or they take things that you don't expect them to take, like fucking macaroni. <laughs> and then I just go, how much macaroni do I think there is? Like 50 pounds? Is it a feast? <laughs> and then na- I don't, I forget that. As soon as I say it and the character writes it down, I don't, God, uh... the next session, I have no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he remembers it means that I can now torture him with rotten macaroni. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's something. It uh, might be sentient at this point. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, just to, to wrap up, um, we're, get, we're getting a little off topic, but that's kind of standard fare, um, is when you're starting a campaign, is finding an effective way to communicate what the most people want to do. If you're online, that might be a questionnaire that the GM then compiles and says, everybody seems to have answered in this way and then retouch on it and say, is everybody okay with this? Because multiple people, like, you know, 60% of people said they wanted to do a swashbuckling campaign. So is that cool with everybody? And the next highest one was at 40% and that was like political intrigue. So we can sprinkle some of that over top of it. Yep. You know, um, and then figuring out how to move forward. Um, then if you're like whatever form you're using, whether it's a session zero, whether it's having people fill out a questionnaire just make sure you get that feedback if you're a game master and run with it. And if you're a player um, and you haven't played D&D or any other role-playing games and you're giving that feedback, what I would suggest you do, which is super helpful to me as a GM, is talk about video games or fictional universes that you really like. Yes. Um, because... If you tell me that you really loved Dragon Age Inquisition, I can look up that game and I can say, oh, that game is all about going out and doing quests and you're doing the main story, but the majority of the time spent in that game is fighting and leveling up and getting new shit and running back to your home base and watching how the shit that you beat up has helped fix your home base and all of the characters that live there. Yeah. So you care about characters and you care about getting cool shit. Cool. 
That gives me so much to work with as a GM.